Welcome to ASME TechCast, where we bring you the innovators, the innovations, and the issues that push the envelope of engineering. My name is John Kozowitz, Senior Editor of Mechanical Engineering Magazine and ASME.org. This podcast is sponsored by IGUS, Motion Plastic Components for Predictably Better Performance. Design longer-lasting machines with self-lubricating bearings, maintenance-free cable carriers, and flexible cables that are guaranteed to last up to 36 months. Every product is rigorously tested and offers a predictable service life. And today we're talking with Greg Stark, the hydropower technical lead at the National Renewable Energy Laboratory. He is also the former lead of the Water Power Technologies Offices Operations and Planning Research Area for the HydroWires Initiative, a Department of Energy program to understand, enable, and improve hydro's contribution to reliability, resilience, and integration in the evolving electricity system. Welcome, Greg. Nice to have you here. Oh, thank you. Enjoy being here. Uh, hydropower remains a constant source of uh, electricity generation for both baseload and with pump storage peaking powder. But in an era of renewable energy and necessary energy storage, hydroelectric, hydroelectricity excuse me, seems to be overlooked, uh, possibly because of its maturity, a growing sentiment against building new dams. Some are even being taken down, as you know. And with even pump storage acknowledged as the ultimate battery for energy storage, um, hasn't played much in the future of US energy, it seems. Why are you keen on hydro's future? Oh, um, it's not any one particular thing, but actually rather a combination of things. One is kind of, as renewable costs are dropping, uh, we're seeing them you know, installed throughout the US and it's gotten to the point where renewables are cheaper than other forms of generation. But as you hit higher contributions of renewable storage becomes really important. And so that opens up some opportunities there for pump storage hydro in particular. Uh, another reason as far as just a change in how people are viewing hydro today, it started back, oh, maybe around 2010, 2000, that time frame, but then it's continued to grow. People are starting to think about hydro holistically. And when I say hydro, I mean pump storage hydro as well. And they're thinking of what else goes with it. And so if you have multi-purpose dams, uh, there's a recognition that you should install hydro, which is kind of a first. It's something you wouldn't have heard of you know, 20 years ago, but people now recognize it as a, um, kind of a, a great path to low carbon, high renewables grids. Another thing that we're seeing is, well, and I just touched on it, is kind of the goal towards low carbon grids. You know, as you get to higher and higher renewables, you start to need storage duration that kind of strips out what lithium ion batteries can do today. They're great for, as far as cost-wise, up to about six hours, maybe eight, and pump storage starts coming in less expensive once you start getting into those longer durations. And then kind of the last thing that I think is exciting in the area is kind of some of the new technologies that we're seeing uh, in the area that hold promise as far as bringing some of the costs down in this space. Okay. Um, in a, a recent piece that you uh, authored on the uh, 
NREL website, you said that hydro could be one of the few forms of on-demand generation left. Could you expound on that? Sure. Um, with the trends of moving towards variable renewable energy, primarily wind and solar, you start to see other things drop off the grid. And think about just simple situations where instantaneous customer design or demand changes. Uh, you know, there's more demand than you expected at a particular time, or wind and solar don't show up. You need something that can step in and fill those energy gaps. Today, you can do that with a gas turbine or a combined cycle machine where you can spin one up pretty quickly. But as you move towards low carbon, those types of technology start dropping off the grid. And hydro is one that can step in there. And it's especially important from the standpoint on hydro, you can modulate it kind of up and down. And if you back hydro off, unlike wind and solar, you don't lose the energy. It's still water behind the dam. And so if you need it tomorrow, you have it there to use tomorrow. Whereas in the variable uh, generation, if you don't use the wind at that particular time, that's energy lost forever. And so hydro fills a nice gap in that spot. It's a bit geographically limited though, is it not? It definitely is. That in terms of, yeah, there are parts of, but people think of like the Pacific Northwest, but also throughout the Southeast, there's quite a bit of hydro as well. Um, and then on the other part of hydro, as I say, when I mention hydro, I also am thinking pump storage hydro as well. And there are areas throughout the country. Matter of fact, we've done some really cool work recently. A guy by the name of Stuart Cohen did some work looking at um, pump storage hydro resource potential throughout the whole US. And it shows where you can cite things and the rough costs of what it would be to put hydro in at any given location or pump storage hydro. Big projects that you're talking about, though, um, and um, and there's a lot of resistance about those now. It's it's not like uh, you know back in 40, 50 years ago, when when large projects were being built. Um, there's a lot of resistance to this now, NIMBY and and otherwise. Um, what are the prospects? On which part? Well, in terms of on citing new hydro. Citing new hydro, I don't expect to see much in the way of like a, a traditional hydro plant. It's going to be low impact hydro for powering of non-powered dams as the growth that we expect to see in those areas, or perhaps adding um, you know, upgrades to existing plants. But going out and building a new hydro plant, I just don't see that happening at the scale that we're having it, not in the US. There are other parts of the world where you need a multi-purpose reservoir that'd make a lot of sense, but many of those sites, matter of fact, I'd say most in the US have already been built out. Right. Pump storage is a different story because now pump storage has moved to closed loop. And I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's where you disconnect the storage device from any active waterway. And so that addresses many, many of the environmental concerns that have kept pump storage out of the grid over the last few years. And that it's isolated from the grid. And so you don't have to worry about uh, messing up a waterway to put it you know, simply. All right. What is, what is needed to incorporate hydro into the grid as it, as it changes to handle renewables and, and power being fed back as the grid changes to handle renewables and, and then power is being fed back into it, 
Uh, is this where the next uh, generation of grid operation simulation software comes in? Sure. Uh, yeah, hydro, the thing that will become important going forward is you, in, as fossil drops off the grid, uh, you lose some flexibility there. You know, as I talked about earlier, you could you know, spin up a gas turbine to cover for some things. And because of that, to date, hydro modeling has been somewhat low resolution. You didn't worry about the details. But once those other forms of flexibility are gone, getting hydro right and understanding kind of the situational awareness becomes important. And that's why I had mentioned, as far as our next generation of modeling, we're looking at coupling um, river operations models with grid operations models. And what that allows you to do is at any point in time, you know what the head is at each reservoir. You know the transit times between reservoirs. Um, you can also feed it new forecasts out of like NOAA's river forecast centers and so that it's always up to date what the capabilities are for the hydro fleet. And that's just something that we don't have today. And so that's why you know, the national labs and uh, Department of Energy in general, we have this focus on kind of looking forward in that area. Okay. And that's what HydroWires is all about? Uh, HydroWires is a little broader than that. Uh, HydroWires is looking at hydro from a grid perspective. And so there are other things that contribute there as well, not just on the modeling side, but how, you know, think about um, hydro as a renewables enabler. I mean, that's really kind of, if you had to pick one sentence to describe hydro wires, that's been its focus, is understanding that hydro and pump storage hydro can make other sorts uh, or other forms of renewable energy happen. Okay. One of the uh, uh, interesting uh, developments in hydro, I think, had to do with uh, the uh, the so-called Obermeyer project. Um, very innovative, I think. Um, tell us uh, what this entails and how it might open more sites for for generation, for power generation. Sure. Yeah, Obermeyer, it's a project that we worked on jointly with Obermeyer Hydro. They're a... a hydropower firm in Northern Colorado. And they took a very innovative approach to just kind of a, a blank sheet design where they're starting from the ground up, they could do whatever they wanted in the hydro space. And the key thing about this design is it gets rid of the need for an underground powerhouse. And so with that, you really drop the uncertainty that is related to a hydropower project as far as just think about you know, the studies that you have to do to lo uh, locate a large powerhouse underground and the impact that that has on a project and the contingency that you would have to build into the project to cover in case you find any unexpected things as you're building it. So that's the key thing about it. With that comes lower costs because there's the lowering of the uncertainty, um, but also you just don't have to do some of the tasks because this design is actually cylindrical it can be anywhere from about a foot to 10 feet in diameter. You just drill a big hole and you slip it into place. The turbine you're speaking. Yeah, the pump turbine. The yeah. Obermeyer design is, it's designed in a, it's a long cylinder with the motor and then the pump generator down at the bottom of it so that you get down below uh, the water surface so you don't have issues with cavitation. But other than that, you don't really have to do any underground excavation. 
And so that opens up other sites. You don't have to do all the seismic studies. Um, and then the other key thing about the hydrowire or the Obermeyer design is it was also designed from the beginning to be factory built. And the limit on the 10 foot diameter is to, so that you can build it in the factory and put it on a truck bed and ship it whole, factory tested to the site. And it allows site work and factory work to happen in parallel. So we expect to be able to shorten the duration of some of these projects. Um, how uh, well recognized is that in the industry now? As far as Obermeyer's design? Yeah. It, it's mixed right now. There are, they have sold a couple of them. There are projects that are right now they're under NDA and so can't say a heck of a lot about them. Um, and I think the proof is going to be in actually seeing one of these installed and up and running. Because right now, I think most people like the concept, but it's new and this will be a first in this space. So you talk of a need to ensure that the uh, U.S. implements storage technologies that protect the environment. And how do you compare pump storage with, um, with lithium ion or, or other battery storage uh, technologies? Um, well, actually, right now, we don't know. And I wish I could answer the question uh, directly, but because of that, we went to Department of Energy and they are, we're currently conducting a life cycle analysis project where we're looking at pump storage hydro and also lithium ion batteries. And throughout their lifetime, what is their environmental impact? Because the last thing that we wanna do is to build a bunch of stuff that's not gonna be good, you know, that we learn like 10 or 15 years later that, hey, we made the wrong choice. And so we're doing the work up front and then we'll be able to make that one-to-one -one comparison. Okay. So our views on hydro changing um, in light of the, uh, the collaboration with the industry itself and the environmental community. They sure seem to be on. And the reason I say that is you're seeing things reflected in, well, everything from, you know, I, I mentioned kind of the more holistic thinking started back around 2010, that time frame, And then Stanford University did an uncommon dialogues project where they brought together stakeholders from everything from river conservationists to industry people. And at the end of this, they published, essentially it was a memorandum of understanding where they looked at you know, what to do with hydro. And for the first time, the river conservationist people are coming out and they're saying, hey, in a multi-purpose reservoir, you should build out the hydropower. You should you know, upgrade what's there. If it doesn't have, if it's a non-power dam, think about ways to add it. And this is something I don't think you would hear from these groups you know, two decades ago. And so that in itself is just a huge paradigm shift in this area. It is. And, yeah, and, and what's driving it is climate change because they look at it as hydro is not necessarily perfect, but they see it as probably one of the best ways to achieve the higher goal. So that bodes well for the industry, uh, for the hydro, for the hydro industry going forward. I sure think so. And matter of fact, it's become, you know, this level of thinking is permeated. You'll see it in the bipartisan bipartisan infrastructure law. If you read the text of it, it actually mentions a lot of the stuff that the Uncommon Dialogues group came up with. 
and the types of things that it focuses on. Um, you know, focusing on improved efficiency, uh, adding capability where you can, uh, dam safety, you know, mitigating issues, but also adding capability where possible. Well, we are going to have to leave the conversation here. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us, Greg, and thanks to everyone for listening. And thanks to our sponsor, IGUS, for supporting today's podcast. IGUS has been manufacturing engineered plastics for more than 50 years. Visit IGUS.com to learn more about high-strength polymer parts with predictable service life. My name again is John Kozowatz, and please go to your favorite podcast app to listen to other ASME TechCasts.